Welcome to the BSD Cast with your host, Jason Lumberg at Power Systems Design. One of the biggest challenges for electric vehicle manufacturers is ensuring compliance with a growing list of global regulations. For example, the United Nations Economic Council for Europe has established R10 standards concerning immunity from and generation of unwanted noise by vehicles. And the same applies for the charging systems of electric vehicles to minimize an input of noise onto the electrical grid. And according to a recent white paper from Delta Q, the connection between the battery charger and the electrical grid is the evaluation point for noise from the vehicle charging system, but the entire vehicle may contribute to the production of noise that passes through the charger to the grid. And that's what we're discussing today, understanding and minimizing all sources of noise within the vehicle to comply with the new standards. And on the line, we've got Murad Shurgi, Senior Product Manager, Delta Q Technologies. So, Murad, thanks for joining us. And could you start by defining the R10 standards? You know, what's their greater significance? Thank you for uh, this opportunity. Um, the um, UNACE uh, R10 standard is one of uh, a, to- a total of more than 150 uh, international standards that applies to uh, on-road vehicles. So this standard particularly uh, regulation number 10 uh, deals with uh, AMC and uh, AMI uh, uh, interference uh, on uh, vehicles that go on the road. So the application is any vehicle that will go on uh, on the road. As you have um, uh, said earlier, this uh, international standard is, recogni- is recognized by more than 64 countries. Uh, notably, the uh, European Union. Um, all all members of the European Union are signatories to this um, this uh, standard, uh, as well as uh, uh, previous Soviet Union uh, countries such as Russia, Ukraine, Azerbaijan, and other countries such as Turkey uh, and Norway. In addition, uh, most of the Euro- uh, Asian countries also adopt this standard. So Japan, South Korea, Thailand, Malaysia, Australia, New Zealand are all signatories in addition to uh, uh, several countries in uh, Europe. So the significance of this standard is is that um, if a vehicle is approved in a certain country, it can be imported to any of the other countries that recognize that standard without further testing or approvals. And that's the significance of this uh, standard. Yeah. With regards to this, uh, there is a, a significant exception, which, which is uh, the United States and Canada are not, are not uh, signatories to this, uh, to this standard, meaning that um, if, a, if a vehicle is imported into the United States or Canada, they need to, those vehicles need to be tested and approved for the local regulations before being able to use on, uh, on the uh, Canadian or uh, United States markets. Okay. Um, now, as the white paper mentioned, and with, which you um, sort of got into just now, a bunch of countries have, have already adopted these standards, but not everyone from the United Nations Economic Council for Europe has signed on to it. So, why do you think, why do you suppose some countries might have embraced the standards and not others? Uh, 
Yes. Um, so uh, we'll make uh, two distinctions. Uh, most, uh, many of the countries in the world, although they are not uh, signatory uh, to the standard, but uh, they, they do accept the vehicles and they have local, uh, local regulations that may mirror a lot of uh, the aspects of those standards. So they still accept uh, imports of vehicles from countries that are part of the UNSCE. Uh, the only exception, as I mentioned earlier, is the United States and Canada, which have regulations that are significantly different than, uh, than what's in, in, in this international UN, UNSE uh, regulation. And the um, main differences have to do with the historical uh, reasons. Um, it's, it's, it has two aspects. It's uh, a difference. Uh, it's differences in uh, producer and consumer preferences, and also it has to do with the role of government in industry uh, practices. As an example, which is related actually to the, to uh, any kind of road vehicles in the United States, uh, automakers can self-certify that their vehicles meet the U.S. standards on their own. While in Europe, for example, a vehicle must obtain a type approval from a government going through testing through a government lab before it can be brought and put on the market. These differences uh, between, uh, between uh, the, the diff these different regions uh, may be um, uh, reflecting on past efforts to protect the domestic vehicle industry against foreign competition, it may also uh, have to do with uh, differences in legal traditions and also in divergent views on the best way of achieving the goals of protecting the consumer or, for example, having a cleaner air or reducing oil consumption, because those, all those uh, are also a part of other regulations. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, beyond the signatories, you know, what are some of the design issues that can crop up during vehicle testing that would make the vehicle non-compliant with the new standards? Uh, during the design, uh, while an original equipment manufacturer is designing their vehicle, uh, there are uh, several things that can, uh, that can um, be causing issues when, uh, for, for this vehicle to comply. Uh, one of them is uh, using uh, a product that are not like, like subsystems uh, within the vehicle that are not certified or are not properly tested. So this may cause extensive uh, emissions and perturbance on the other components on, on, the, on the device. So that's number one. Uh, second thing is some of the components out there may have a certain level of certification announced, but it may not be legitimate or may not be fully, uh, fully tested. And uh, a third aspect, which is quite, uh, quite important, it has to do with system design, with the whole vehicle system design. As an example, you could use two devices uh, on the vehicle, and each one of them is properly tested and have all the certifications, but when you put them together, they may have coupling between them that may cause additional emissions or disturbance or higher current like that will affect uh, the safety 
of uh, other components on the vehicle. So uh, a proper uh, system integration of the vehicle and proper knowledge of the different uh, regulations and standards uh, is necessary to embark in such a level of, uh, of integration and be successful in achieving the goals. Okay, well, on the flip side, what are some of the specific steps that OEMs and vehicle designers can take to ensure compliance with the standards? Yeah, um, uh, there are some, some pre-steps that could be, could be and, and the, 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 the advantage here is following these steps, it will shorten the development and design and testing time for the uh, manufacturer, for the vehicle manufacturer. The first one that we uh, recommend is that uh, companies look at sourcing um, components that have all the certification or certifications and compliance needed for their market at, at a subsystem level. The second one is to source this component from reputable companies that stands behind this product are an, and are able to help the original uh, vehicle manufacturers to solve, resolve issues as they, uh, they happen. So, uh, so the company, the, the, the supplying company should have, should have the um, support uh, needed and also be re repeatable. And last one is for the OEM uh, to have a proper system level integration and knowledge and experience and also to have uh, extensive validation and verification capabilities even before taking the vehicle to be tested by a third-party lab. So a lot of tests could be done iteratively inside the company to fix those issues and um, so that the end result is, is successful. To close things out, can you briefly discuss the R10 guidelines concerning emissions? Yeah, exactly. So... So the um, the, the uh, regulation, the UNSCE regulation 10, uh, uh, deals specifically with uh, with conducted and radiated emissions. So in in that it has three aspects. It has uh, it has two aspects. It, it deals with um, the uh, radiation that are emitted wirelessly that can affect negatively other devices on. On, on, uh, on, on the vehicle. It, ha it also deals with what's called uh, conducted emissions, and that's the, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the uh, energy that is put back on the supplying core, the, the, the electrical supplying core, and that may propagate to the system and cause issues within the electrical grid. When it comes to the, uh, em uh, to the uh, radiated emissions, so there is, the em there is what's called emission, which is the production of electromagnetic energy. These emissions can cause other devices to malfunction if, the, if their intensity is, uh, is very high. So the purpose here with this regulation is actually to limit the emission. The other aspect is the flip, on the flip side is for the device uh, to uh, not be highly susceptible to uh, malfunction due to uh, emissions. And then the last, last uh, part is what's called coupling, which is the mechanism where uh, emissions from uh, an emitting device affects uh, 
a receiving device and uh, and vice versa so these three aspects are what's typically addressed under uh, uh, under under emissions and 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 uh, um, and susceptibility thanks morad on behalf of psd i want to thank you for your time and to our audience thanks for tuning in stay safe and healthy and have a great day